Good morning, church. So good to be with you. This morning, I'm going to be serving up some sermon stew. And here's what I mean. Um, I love beef stew. Anybody else love beef stew? I love beef stew, man. Oh, beef stew is so good. For us, um, for beef stew, we, uh, we always toss in some carrots. We throw in some potatoes. We add in some celeries, and we include a whole lot of beef. And then we, we always eat our beef stew over hot rice. So, oh no. Well, this morning, I'm going to, um, usually when I preach a sermon, I always focus on one thing. If you've not noticed, I've, I always try to drill down on one thing. But this morning, I have a bunch of things that I want to go over. And so it's kind of like beef stew. I'm just going to throw in some of this and throw in some of that. And so I just want you to prepare, be prepared ahead of time. All right. And so here we go. The first thing I'm going to throw in is this. This year, Lent begins on Wednesday. It's a, a late uh, Easter season we have. So Lent begins this Wednesday and that's March the 6th. And I'm asking all of us to participate by fasting from one thing during the Lent season. And so I thought before um, I ask you to do that, that I probably should give you some understanding on what Lent is. Last year, we kind of did an in-depth study of Lent, but I'm just going to quickly summarize what Lent means. And so let's start with some terminology. And so firstly, we have Ash Wednesday, which is up on the screen. Ash Wednesday... Um, its name actually comes from this ancient practice of placing ashes on a worshiper's head or forehead, and it's kind of as a sign of humility before God. It's like a symbol or a sign of mourning and sorrow at the death that sin causes to the world. And so that's what um, Ash Wednesday is about. And our Catholic brothers and sisters, they're very good about attending service and, and there's ashes that are placed on their forehead. And so on Wednesday, you'll probably be seeing some of our Catholic brothers and sisters with some ashes on their forehead. So that's what Ash Wednesday is all about. Then there's something called Maundy Thursday. And Maundy is actually uh, a Latin word. It comes from a Latin word which means, uh, um, which is mandatum. And mandatum means a mandate. And so if you remember uh, Jesus and his disciples, uh, they're in the upper room and the evening meal is served. And then Jesus gets up and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. And then Jesus says, a new mandatum, a new mandate I give to you. And what is the new mandate? Love. Love one another. And so that's Monday, Thursday. And then there's, of course, Good Friday, the day in which Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. And he died and he was buried. But the tomb and the grave could not hold Jesus. For on the third day, he rose again. And that's Easter Sunday. And so those are the terminologies. And so now, uh, the length of Lent, why do we do 40 days? Like, why am I asking all of us to uh, fast from one thing for 40 days? Well, it kind of um, is to remind us, to connect us with uh, Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. 
For 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was in the wilderness and he fasted and he was tempted by the tempter. And so that's kind of why we do 40 days. And so the length of Lent is usually, it starts on um, Ash Wednesday and it usually ends um, on Monday, Thursday, sometimes Good Friday, sometimes Holy Saturday. It depends on the Christian t- tradition. And so that's the 40 days of Lent. And so now I want to talk about the purpose of Lent. What's the purpose of Lent? Why even fast for 40 days? What's the purpose of Lent? The purpose of Lent is really to prepare our hearts for Easter. It's to prepare our hearts for Easter. The term Lent actually means spring or springtime or spring season. And I like to think of it this way. I like to think of Lent as a spiritual spring cleaning of our hearts to prepare us for Easter Sunday. And so that's the purpose of Lent. And traditionally, there are some practices of Lent. And there's actually three practices of Lent. There's prayer. There's fasting. And there's almsgiving, which is charity. And so over the next 40 days, I'm going to ask us as a church to participate in Lent, in the Lenten season. Spend a little more time in prayer. Fast from one thing. Now, people will ask, what should I fast from? Well, what you fast from, I I think, should be kind of a little sacrifice. Should probably hurt a little. (laughs) Should probably be a little painful. Like, don't say, oh man, pastor, I'm going to fast from broccoli. Like, man, I can fast from broccoli, no problem, you know. Choose something that will hurt a little. Like maybe Facebook for you young people, or Instagram, or HGTV for my, oh, never mind. Um, or, or coffee, or sweets. Something that will kind of be a sacrifice so that you will prepare your heart. And so when, when you have this urge to kind of do or eat or whatever the thing that you're fasting from, instead, divert that energy and think of Jesus and his sacrifice and begin to pray. Yeah? And so prayer, fast, and then almsgiving. I'm going to ask us as a church, we are already a kind and generous church, but over the next 40 days during the Lenten season, I'm going to ask us to be even more kind and even more generous to the poor and needy that live in our community that, and that are among us. So prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Any questions? Yeah? All right. I want, I want you to take... 20 seconds and whisper to the person next to you what you're kind of thinking you're going to be fasting from for the next 40 days. Go ahead. 20 seconds. Go. All right. Okay. 
The next thing I want to throw into our, um, our, our sermon stew is this. I, I want to summarize um, the series that we just went over called Who Am I? In week one, I introduced us to the question, who am I? And I said that anything that is subject to change, anything in our life that's vulnerable to change is probably not the truest thing about me. And so your profession, your pay, your title, your, uh, the things, uh, your popularity, all these things are subject to change. Your circumstances, all subject to change. And probably they are not the truest thing about you. And so what is the truest thing about you? Well, there's one that doesn't change. One that remains the same, that remains constant, and his name is Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 13.8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ never changes. As such, who we are in Christ Jesus never changes. And so that is the truest thing about us. And then in week two, we looked at 2 Corinthians 5.20 which says this, it says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Who are we? I am an ambassador for Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ. We are God's authorized agents on earth. Wherever we go, we are ambassadors for Christ. And then in week three, we looked at Philippians 3.20, which says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ who am I? I am a citizen of heaven heaven is my truest home I am just a sojourner on earth I'm just passing through I'm in the world, but not of the world. I am a citizen of heaven. Heaven is my truest home. And then in week four, we were reminded that we are made in the imago Dei. We are made in the image of God. That's powerful. In Genesis 1, on the sixth day, it says that, God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The image of God. Who are we? We are made in the image of God. We are made in the imago Dei. And then in week five, we were reminded that we are both at the same time children of God, but because of the fall, we are also imperfect. But God can use our imperfections for his glory. God can use our brokenness for his glory. God can use our weaknesses for his glory. And then in week six, we looked at Galatians 3.26, which says, You are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. 
Who am I? I am a son of God. Who are you? You are sons and daughters of God. And then we looked at some promises and some spiritual practices of God's children. And then in week seven, two weeks ago, I introduced you to this Greek word, agapetos. Agapetos means love or be loved. And if you remember when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, and when he came out of the waters of baptism, a voice from heaven, the Father God, said of Jesus, this is my agapetos. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And what is true of Jesus is true of us. And so in Christ Jesus, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, in Christ Jesus, you are beloved. You are agapetos. You are beloved of God. And then last week, we looked at Psalm 139, specifically verse 13. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove or you knit me together in my mother's womb. And then we also looked at 1 Peter 2.9, which says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people, so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Over the past two months, we've worked hard. The preaching team has worked hard to share truth, to share some excellent knowledge on who you are in Christ Jesus. But here's the thing. Knowledge is only relevant when it is put into practice. You have to do something with the knowledge received. It has to move from your head to your heart and to your hands. You have to do something. There has to be an application point to the knowledge in order for it to be relevant. Jesus says it this way in If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 7? And this is Jesus speaking. Love what Jesus says here. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Jesus says this. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The streams rose. The wind blew and beat against that house. Yet, it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine 
and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down. The streams rose. The wind blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. In this lesson, there are two people. Both of them do exactly the same thing. They both listen to the word of God. But here's the difference. One of them, they listen to the word of God and they, he puts it into practice. The other guy, he hears the word of God, but he doesn't put it into practice. And, the, and Jesus says this of the guy who hears the word of God and puts it into practice that he is a wise man. He's, kind, he's like this man who built his house on good, solid foundation. And the guy, Jesus says, who heard the word of God and did not put it into practice is like a foolish man. And he built his house on sand. And for both of them, the storm of life came. For both of them, the wind came, blew and beat against it. The stream rose. The rain came down. And then, when an assessment was made after the storm, the man who built his house on good foundation, had his house stand and remain because he listened to the word of God and he put it into practice. And the guy that didn't listen to the word of God, didn't put it into practice, his house was washed away because it was built on poor foundation. All of us I guarantee you that the storms of life will come. If not today, if not tomorrow, maybe the next day. But we all live in this fallen and broken world, and I guarantee you that the storms of life will come. Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. But Jesus says also, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world, but we will have storms in life. The rain will come down. The streams will rise. The wind will blow and beat against your life. And none of us wants, us, wants our lives to be destroyed when the storms of life come. We want to be remaining strong in the Lord and in the power of His might when the storms of life come. But here's the thing. You have to be proactive if you want that. You can't, not do, you can't do nothing and expect to have a good, solid foundation. You have to do something. You have to build a frame, pour, the, pour a good foundation. 
And that's when you hear the Word of God and put it into practice. Do something with it. Apply it in your life. It has to move from your head to your heart and to your hands. And then the last thing that I want to talk about is this. We're almost there, kiddos. All right. I know that many of you are hurting right now. I know that many of you are broken, going through tough times in your life right now. And I just want to remind you of some scripture verses, some truths from the Word of God that might bring you encouragement. These are some of my favorite Bible verses that I want to share with you. And I have committed these Bible verses to memory for many years. They have already, they've been sealed on the tablet of my heart. And so sometimes, you know, you sit alone and you have no one to encourage you. Sometimes... Like, I have to encourage myself, yeah? Sometimes we got to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We have no one else to encourage us. And so, this is important. And I hope that as I share these scripture verses, that maybe you might jot them down or take a picture of the screen and, when, and go home. Look them up yourselves. Commit some of these to memory. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that when... When tough times come, when you're, you're feeling broken or in pain or hurt, or even now you're broken or in pain or hurt, that you'd be able to encourage yourself in the Lord. Yeah? And so I'm going to start with Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. And this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says this. Jesus says, Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Any of you feeling weary or tired or fatigued or burdened? This is a powerful scripture. Jesus says, come. Come to me and I will give you rest. Next scripture, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. Says this. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Next scripture is 1 Peter 5.7. Maybe you start with this one. This is a short one, and I I bet you all of us can memorize this by the end of today. And it says this, Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares 
for you. Any anxieties? Any worries? Any fears? Jesus says, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Next verse is Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39. Sometimes we go through life and we wonder, man, does God still love me? Does God still accept me? Does God still forgive me? I need to encourage myself with this scripture sometimes, which says this. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8, powerful verse. For some of you, maybe you're feeling a little overwhelmed. Isaiah 41.10 says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, says the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah 41 10. Psalm 23. This is the first passage of scripture I ever memorized when I first became a Christian in 1993. And I commend this scripture to you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23. Hebrews 4, verse 15 through 16 says this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help 
in time of need. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16. That's all the sermon stew I had for you this morning. <laughs>